Well, good morning. I was trying to be social this morning, and sit. I sat in on a different Sunday school class that I had not had the opportunity to visit yet. And believe it or not, I'm not going to mention any names, but the teacher of that class took a jab at me and said that last week's preaching must have led to this week's attendance. <laughs> but I want... I want you all to know that it is good to be with you on this Sunday morning of Labor Day weekend and the start of another college football season. So let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for these few moments to gather together with your people and your church to worship you, Lord, and to hear from you, Lord. I pray that now you would speak to all of us, Lord, through your word, by the power of your Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, millions of younger Americans today are facing an identity crisis. The teenage years have gone from some of the most awkward and challenging years of life to some of the most glorified years of life. When it comes to freedom and choice, and independence, and opportunity, 10 is the new 13. When it comes to responsibility and accountability, 25 is the new 18. As a society, we have glorified the teenage years, welcoming the stereotypical attitudes and behaviors that are associated with them by inviting our children to become teenagers earlier and welcoming them to remain teenagers far longer. Now, this morning's sermon is not about growing up physically or emotionally or attitudinally, or behaviorally, but it is about growing up as participants, as members of the body of Christ, growing up as the church. And as we saw last week in Ephesians chapter 4, God has devised a plan through Jesus Christ to be carried out in the church for our growth as individuals in the church and as a collective body of Christ known as the church. And so we continue that theme this morning from Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. So I would invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11, as we seek what it means, according to God's word, to grow up as a body of believers in Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. It was he who gave, I'm talking about Christ, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ." Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, 
speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, before we begin to attempt to draw any major conclusions from this passage, we need to remember where we've come from. We need to remember what has led us here. And last week, we looked at verses 7 through 10 of Ephesians chapter 4, that somewhat difficult passage of Scripture because it led up to this one. Because we said that context, when we study Scripture, when we look at the Bible, when we seek to determine what the Bible is saying and apply it to our lives, we need to look at Scripture as it's been written in its context. And we said from that previous passage that that Jesus has equipped all believers with grace gifts or spiritual gifts to grow in unity and maturity. And then we also said that, that Jesus is the one who conquered all evil powers. Those were the two truths that we drew from verses 7 through 10. And then we put them together. and We said that Paul, the writer of Ephesians, put those two truths together because he wanted us to see that the very same one, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who has conquered all evil powers and revealed his strength and his authority by his reach ascending to the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, the very same one who conquered all evil powers is the very same one who equips believers in the church to grow in their faith in Jesus Christ. In this passage, verses 11 through 16, as you might imagine, is a continuation of that passage, further telling us what that process of growing together, of being equipped as a church for growth, looks like and how it plays itself out in our lives. So back to verse 11 and the first, first part of verse 12. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. Right here in verse 11, in the first part of verse 12, we learn that the victorious Christ gave the ministry of the word to equip us to serve the church. The victorious Christ gave the ministry of the word to equip us to serve the church. Now don't just take my word for it. Let's look at it together. Look back at verse 11. It says, it was he who gave. Talking about Jesus, talking about this one that we saw last week in the prior section is the one that ascended and descended, the one who has all authority. It was him, it was Jesus who gave these various gifts for the church to equip the church. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. In other words, it was Jesus' design to set up the church in such a way that different people in the church have various gifts, various grace gifts, various, various spiritual gifts that, that when are, are worked out together in unison as his plan, the whole body benefits from it. And he mentions some of these gifts right here in verse 11. This is a very limited description, a very limited list of the gifts that, that God through Christ has equipped believers in the church to have. He mentions apostles, prophets, evangelists, 
pastors and teachers. Now, we're not going to spend time this morning differentiating between all these various gifts because I don't think that is Paul's purpose in including them here. But there's one thing that all five of these gifts that are mentioned in verse 11 have in common. And don't miss this. They are all ministries or gifts of the Word of God. They are all gifts that involve explaining or announcing or instructing or introducing or describing or teaching the Word of God, i.e. this book, the Bible, Scripture. Now, some of them are more foundational to the life of the church, such as the apostles and prophets. Evangelists has more to do with proclaiming the good news, announcing the good news to the unreached, taking it to them and and proclaiming it to them. Pastors and teachers have more to do with guiding and instructing in the church. So I guess I lied. I said we're not going to spend time differentiating between these gifts, but we just did that at least on some level. But the, the point here is that these gifts, these ministries of the Word, were given by God through Christ for the church to equip us to serve the church. That's what's being communicated here. The ministry of the Word of God is foundational to everything else we do. And if we don't get that right, then we're going to fail in the execution of the rest of our gifts of God. Now, the ones that have received these gifts, not these five gifts, but grace gifts in the church, all believers, look back to verse 7, but to each one of us, this is talking about all believers in the church, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. All of us have received these gifts and are to use these gifts to serve in the church for the growth of of the church. But what is being communicated here by the inclusion of these ministries of the word, by these particular gifts that involve the teaching and announcing and proclaiming of scripture, what is being communicated here is that without the proper guidance and foundation of God's word, all of our other gifts are ineffective in the life of the church. The Bible is foundational. And even though it's odd that God would choose to to use human agents, broken vessels, sinners, to announce and proclaim and to teach and to instruct in His Word, that is exactly what God has chosen to do. And so the victorious Christ has given these ministries of the Word to equip us, all of us, to serve the church. Now look at the rest of the passage, verses 12 and following, midway through verse 12. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. 
From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. From the last half of verse 12 through verse 16, we learn that as we are equipped to serve, we work together for the growth of the church. As we as a body of believers are equipped through the ministries of the word of God to serve, we then work together for the growth of the church. So the picture here is not that these particular grace gifts that have to do with the word of God produce maturing in us as a body of believers. That's one way that if, we're, if we rush through this, we could read this, uh, that, that it was he who gave these gifts to prepare God's people for works of service, to prepare them so that the body would be mature. That's not what's being communicated here. What's being communicated here is that God has given these ministries of the word of God to equip people, to prepare people for service, so that in turn we as a body of believers, a collective group, i.e. Meadowbrook Baptist Church, would then use our various gifts in the church to together grow together to mature as the church. This is sort of like what happens before a big play in a football game. Oftentimes the offensive team gathers up behind the line of scrimmage and the coach or the quarterback or whoever's calling the plays then tells the rest of the team what that particular play is going to be. And then everybody goes out and hopefully executes that play. Because they've spent hours in preparation for every single offensive play. They've studied it. They've seen pictures. They've seen maps. They've seen diagrams. And coaches have taught and communicated over and over again what each position's responsibility is in a given play. But if one player, no matter what position it is, fails to remember or do his job correctly, the whole team suffers. Because each position, although different, is crucial to the proper execution of every single play. And we often see when we're watching football games, whether it's at a stadium or on TV, we'll see coaches yelling at players on the field, players looking over on the sidelines, coaches trying to get their attention to tell them what they're doing wrong or what they're supposed to be doing. But I have to think that at that point, it's nearly too late. You don't want to look at your football team on the field and see players looking over at the coach as if they're trying to remember or know what they're supposed to do in a given play. You want your team's players to to be picturing, mentally picturing the diagram that they've studied, the ones that their coaches have taught them and prepared them for. And to see them then carry that out on the field. In the moment, in the real moment, it's not the coach that equips them to grow or or to carry out the play on the field. It's knowing the play. And in a similar way, it's it's not these leaders that Paul mentions in the church that equip us to grow in the church. It is God who equips us to grow, but he does so through the ministries of his word. And he has chosen to use human vessels to proclaim and to announce and to instruct and to teach through his word. And this is the same picture that we read about in 2 Timothy 
chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, where Scripture reads that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Verse 17, don't miss this. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It is God's word that equips us to use our various gifts in the church for the well-being of the church. That is his design. That is his plan. The ministry of the word of God, rightful instruction and proclamation and teaching and reading of the word of God is crucial to the health and to the growth of a local church, which is why when we are are looking for a church to be a part of, to come alongside, to plug into, the first question that we ask should not be how impressive is the facility or or how impressive is the budget or do I have friends go go in here or or how many youth are involved in the program or, or what does this church have to offer me? But the first question ought to be, Is the word of God rightly proclaimed, read, and taught on a consistent basis? As we are equipped to serve, we work together for the growth of the church. The picture here is all believers in the church, every member, every Christian that makes up a particular church using his or her gifts for the well-being of the church. Follow along with me. Verse 7, but to each one of us, Grace has been given, verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And verse 16, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So it's not simply the task of certain individuals or or certain leaders or certain people in the church to do the ministry of the church. This is a task for all believers. As we grow together in Christ, we serve the church. We minister in the church for the growth of the church. The picture is of every member involved in ministry in the church, which is why when we look at evaluating a healthy church, a healthy church is a church that that a high percentage of attenders of members, more than just attenders, but are serving the body of Christ for the growth of the church. When most of us think of church growth, we probably think of growth in numbers, growth whether that be attendance or, or budget or classes. Now we, and this is because this is the way that we're accustomed to thinking in nearly every other realm of life. And this is a measurement of church growth, but if if we're going to talk about church growth and what it means to grow as as a body of Christ, then we want to know what the Bible has to say about church growth. So what is biblical church growth? So we're going to run through verses 13 through 16 quickly, and I'm going to give you three marks based off this passage of biblical church growth. Biblical church growth, first one. Biblical church growth leads to doctrinal unity and personal knowledge of Christ. Biblical church growth leads to doctrinal unity and personal knowledge of Christ. Look back at the first part of verse 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And so the picture here is that 
as a church grows in health, according to the Bible, a body of believers is unified in the essential components of our faith, the essential truths of God's word. So we don't have one group over here that thinks the Word of God or Scripture is the Word of God, that it's inspired by God, and then another group that's uh, a committed group within our church thinking, well, I don't know that I believe that, or, or one group thinking that Jesus is the central person, the only way to get to God, and another group that, that doubts that and thinks maybe there's multiple ways. A sign of church health, of biblical church health and church growth is that we're unified in the essential elements of the faith. And speaking of the essential elements of the faith, I want to to encourage all of you to be a part, if you are able, of a new series that we'll be doing beginning next Sunday night for several weeks on foundations of our faith. Well, we'll teach through some of these things. What are the core components of what it means to be a Christian, to be a Baptist Christian, to be a part of this church, particularly in contrast to to some other groups that don't believe as we do. We ought to know what we believe. And as we grow as a church, we will be united, at least when it comes to the central elements of our faith. And we will also grow in personal knowledge of Christ. What I mean by personal knowledge of Christ, I don't just mean knowing about Christ. I mean you know Christ because you spend time with Christ, worshiping Christ, talking to Christ Listening to Christ's voice through the words of Scripture. So biblical church growth is characterized by doctrinal unity and personal knowledge of Christ. Number two, second mark of biblical church growth is that it leads to the recognition of false teaching. Biblical church growth leads to the recognition of false teaching. Look back at the second half of verse 13 through verse 14. And become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. And so you see the picture there. There's a contrast set up, a picture set up of a mature man, which is a reference here to the body of Christ. And on the other side, a bunch of individual infants who are blown here and there by the latest teaching, by the latest persuasive words. And the reality is false teaching in the church is rampant. It is all over the place. And this is not a new thing. This is not a new phenomenon. This is why Paul spent so much, and other New Testament writers spent so much time warning us not to fall astray or fall victim to false teaching and false teachers. Don't believe everything you hear, even if it's spoken in persuasive words. Don't believe everything you hear, even if it's couched in biblical language, in churchy language. You test everything against the measuring rod, the standard of this book, the Word of God. And as we grow in our faith, as we grow as a church... As we truly grow as a church in the way that the Bible conveys here, then we will begin to recognize false teaching, teaching that is contrary to the Word of God when we hear it and when we see it. Mark number three of biblical church growth. Biblical church growth involves every member lovingly contributing to the body's growth. Biblical church growth involves every member 
lovingly contributing to the body's growth. Look at verses 15 and 16. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, talking about the church, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So whereas these false teachers were using cunning ways, deceitful ways, using trickery to the language, to the logic, to pull infants in the faith away from the true faith, true believers are to be speaking the truth in love. That's all of us, all believers. This is what the church is called to do. So we've seen a focus here and elsewhere on the importance of knowing the truth, knowing the essential elements of our faith, knowing what this book teaches, but it's also important what we do with that knowledge, that we speak it in love in this place and in the world. And as we do so, as we grow in that area, we will be, we will be growing in biblical health as a church. And this is the way that, that Peter described that same truth in 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. His instructions for the church. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So we've seen three biblical marks of church growth right here from Ephesians chapter 4. One, it leads to doctrinal unity and knowledge of Christ. Two, recognition of false teaching. And three, it involves every member of the body lovingly serving the body for the body's growth. And backing up one step further, we've seen two two truths from this overall passage. One, that the victorious Christ gave the ministry of the word to equip us to serve the church. Verse 11 and verse 12, verses 12 through 16. As we are equipped to serve, we work together for the growth of the church. So backing up. As we seek to draw all of this together, if we were going to boil this passage down to one takeaway truth, which, by the way, we should always do when we study Scripture, when we read Scripture, when we read a particular passage, we want to know the heart of what's being communicated there in God's Word. And if we were going to boil this down to one truth, we might say that Jesus gave the ministry of the Word to equip the church to work together for growth. Jesus gave the ministries of the word to equip the church to work together for growth. When I was studying and writing this past week, I really wanted to say that Jesus gave the ministry of the word to equip the church to lovingly work together for growth. Because there's such a clear emphasis here on on love. Serving in the church in love. But, but as I began to write that, I could picture one particular seminary professor glaring back at me as he began to take red ink to my paper for using a split infinitive. And so I began to think of some of the English instructors 
in the room this morning and decided to leave out the lovingly. So we're going to stick with Jesus gave the ministry of the word to equip the church to work together for growth. Now, we've seen a number of emphases already here in Ephesians chapter 4, but I want you to notice one thing before we conclude this morning. Back up to the beginning of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, we see an emphasis on bearing with one another in love. Remember that? We heard it read this morning. As the body of believers, we're instructed to bear with one another in love, to be patient with one another in love. Skip down to the end of the passage, verse 16, and we see a picture of the body Growing and building itself up in love as each part does its work. So are you doing your part in the body of Christ? Have you found your place of surface? Do you know your position? Are you looking for ways to serve in this church or in whatever church that that you call your church? For the growth of the church. Has the grace of God gripped you and equipped you through the ministry of the word to work together with other believers in the church for the growth of the church? And I can certainly imagine one response to a truth like this, a passage like this, for someone who's perhaps spent a lifetime in the church serving in the church in a number of capacities to say, yeah, I wish some of those those other people would begin to serve in the church, begin to take on some serving roles in the church. But, and that's true, we all should. Every member ought to be serving. But it's also important that each of us recognize that we never arrive as fully mature and perfected followers of Jesus Christ. There is always room to grow in the knowledge of Christ, to grow in love for one another, and to grow in service in the church. So do you have a desire and a love for the church, to serve the church, to use your gifts in the church? Let's grow together as followers of Christ in this place, members of this church, for the growth of the church. Let's grow up together. Now is the time to grow up as the church. Let's pray together. Father God, once again, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to look at your word, to proclaim your word, to speak your word. And Lord, I pray that your word has been spoken clearly this morning. I pray that that your truths have been communicated in the way that you desire. Lord, I pray that as a broken vessel, that I have not gotten in the way of your truth going forward. But Lord, I trust in you and I trust in your word when it says that your word does not return to you void without accomplishing the purposes that you have for it, Lord. I pray that you continue to be glorified in us, to receive praise from us now. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.